Greetings. My name is Louis Molina, and I'm the host of the Life Pro Podcast. In today's first episode, I talked to Greyhawk Perkins. I met Greyhawk over 20 years ago when I first started my career in the cigar shop business. Greyhawk is a dear mentor to me, but he's more than that. He's a cultural icon, a musician, a storyteller, and we both share the same passion for tobacco. We hope you enjoy today's episode. So, uh, uh, you know, I'm going to be laid back on this thing, you know. <laughs> You're going to what? I'm laid back on these things, you know. I know, absolutely. That's what we want. We want just organic conversation. No real script. You see the notes, but. Yeah, I just did a, 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 That's for a, myself. a radio show with uh, in, 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 in St. Tammany. And um, we had uh, a couple of people interviewing me. We were talking and all, and. It got it got pretty interesting because you know I'm the kind of guy where if you say something I'm gonna I'm gonna pick up on it and I'm gonna bring it a little bit farther you know and I had them laughing they were laughing so hard that they were holding their jaw you know they they were saying we need to get you on more often because it's like it really broke up the tension you know yeah but uh and I I have a a, a reputation of um, when we're doing movies or documentaries they have to have uh. A uh, person that sits there and does continuity check, because I will play tricks. <laughs> and uh, we did that documentary on the Homa, and uh, the producer and the director had two continuity check people on me, watched me, because you have to get in the right position, and and then they 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 cut, and you have to be exactly in that same position, looking the same way when they call action. And so they made sure that I did not do anything funny. Well, I was uh, doing the documentary, and, and I'm, I'm on on-screen narrator. And we're out in the woods, we're out everywhere, and they're making me stop and all. But they didn't realize that I had, you know, I, wore, I wear earrings, but for that I had one earring on this side that was real long, and I had one on this side that was real short. And they were watching me like a hawk. And they could cut, and I'd do this, and I'd switch the earrings. So throughout the whole documentary, my earrings were doing this, up and down on each <laughs> side. And, that's, and we went to the pr- premiere, and uh, the um, director and the producer were sitting there. We made it through. You didn't get us on anything. And I went, watch my ears. <laughs> and oh, they went, no. what did you do? I said, watch my ears. And we were at WYES Studios where it premiered. And I'm sitting right next to her, and she turns, and she looks, she says, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, Oh, no. You so got him. I got you. I got yeah. you. Well, I, I, uh, we, I had my own, um, back in the uh, 90, 80, late 80s, early 90s, I had my own Native American production company, my own uh, <clears throat> film crew, and they were all Native. And w, at the time, Channel 60 out in New Orleans paid for our uh, our classes to teach us. I, I, I was taught direction, you know, directing and editing and film work and all. And and I had eight people in my crew, and they were all Native American. And, um, and so they paid for our education back then. And uh, and so I we had really the first Native American film crew in Louisiana. And, wow. Uh, what was so funny, I was at Moundville the last trip, and uh, uh, what's his name, uh, Alex, he's director of Moundville, 
He says, I've been looking online and I found so much on you. But he said, I found a picture of you that just sold for $250 on eBay. Yeah, yeah, well, it was. We were doing a a documentary, and um, it was on Native American traditions, and we had just done a movie, so I was decked out in a 17th century outfit. My face was painted, and the whole works. And they caught me, uh, whoever took the picture, caught me looking looking in the camera and making sure the shot was good because I, I was the director and everything in there. And, and uh, I, I, I had my, I'm looking into the camera like this, and somebody snapped that picture, and they said, the past meets the future. And I'm, I'm on, on the camera checking out the shot, dressed out in 17th century gear. And it made it to eBay. I guess it made it to eBay. And a copy of it, uh, he said, it sold for two hundred and fifty dollars. Wow! And that was, that was from a movie set you were on. It was a thing, a documentary we were doing, oh, and uh, about Native American uh, powwows and dances and things like that. And we were doing uh, a living history and all. So I was dressed dressed out because I was part of it. Besides, I was doing the documentary, and my, my crew was filming it. Yeah. And uh, and I went, man, I'd love to see that picture, man. You know, I, I, I mean, well, I would have bought it. And and you still haven't found I that haven't picture seen to this it. day? I haven't seen it. Hmm. He said he's, he, uh, he showed it to me, you know, the picture. It said sold on it. And I went, oh, man, I would have loved to have bought that thing. Yeah. You know, oh, at well. least got a copy of it. Yeah. You know, maybe if I look through all my my stuff, my 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 files and stuff, I might find uh, pictures of that, that time. I know I've got a. We made the front page of a, um, um, what is it? Uh, what do you call it? Uh, media magazine, and it had me with my whole crew. And we were all we were all decked out oh, because man. we were being That's part so cool. of it. Yeah. And we've got the cameras, we got yeah. the, the the mics and the booms and everything, and we're all decked out, you know. That's cool. And we made the front cover of this media magazine back in I think ninety one. So you mentioned powwows. Yeah. You're on your way to a powwow. Can you explain to the audience what what that means? What's a powwow? Powwow. Okay, powwow started a long time ago, and it wasn't here. Um, it actually started. Uh, and and uh, I guess they, 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 by the story that I hear, uh, it started in the Northeast. And uh, as far as the word powwow. Uh, but gatherings have been going on forever. But each tribe has their own type of gathering. But the powwow we know today is more like a pan-Indian powwow. You'll see, uh, you'll hear Kiowa dance songs. You'll hear, you know, Cheyenne songs, you hear this song, that song, and you'll see dress from all different types of uh, Native American culture. Um, some very traditional, some of them very new. Um, you know, and uh, it's more of a pan-Indian thing. You know, it's where Native Americans from all different bands or different nations come together, and it's it's a get together. Um, myself, I usually don't go to them. Um, because uh, it's not part of my culture, really. You know, I'm I'm a stomp dancer, and uh, uh, but 
to meet my friends from other tribes and all. I'll go and I'll visit. And it was funny because um, we were talking about uh, a couple months ago, talking about the powwow, and um, we were doing a a podcast with other natives, and I was not going to be talking about powwow. I was going to be talking about other things. And the person that was supposed to be talking about powwow uh, they asked that person a question, and then I raised my hand, and, and I'd answer it. And uh, I knew more about the powwow than I think that person knew. And they go, well, we heard you don't do powwow. I said, I said, I don't do powwow. I didn't say, I didn't know anything about right. powwow. Make that distinction. You know, yeah. and uh, I said, because I've been running Native American area of Jazz Fest. I've been there for almost 40-something years, and for the last... 30 years or more, I've been running the Native American area, which we do have people come in and do the powwow. So I have to know about the powwow. I have to know what groups are out there, you know, uh, what are the best groups. Um, You know, I know the dances. I know where they come from, you know, why there's a jingle dress, why is this, what that, what does it mean? A grass dancer, you know, I, I know what the grass dancer is, a hoop dancer, where it came from. Uh, because I've been involved with Jazz Fest in as the coordinator for powwows for so long that I've kn- I've learned everything about powwows. Um, even when I go to some of these powwows here, they ask me to be a judge, which I'm not a dancer, but I know what it takes to be a dancer okay. and what it takes to be a good dancer and what mistakes they make and things like that. Uh, because I've been involved with it so long. Um, and I guess, you know, in ways, it, powwow is good. In other ways, you know, like I always say, I wish that people that do powwows um, would learn their own language and their own culture and then do powwows. That way I have no problem with that. But if you do just strictly powwows and you sing Kayo and you sing all these other songs and you don't even know your language or your own culture that I'm not too happy about but uh, I will go why is that why aren't you happy well because you're taking a pan-Indian culture and you're letting your culture your real culture disappear you know like okay if you're Choctaw or you're Creek or whatever and you don't know how to stomp dance and you know your language but you can sing a Kiowa song and do that stuff it's like wait something's wrong with that you let your culture go to pick up somebody else's culture. Uh, but I have no problem with the powwow if the people that are doing the powwow also know their own culture, their own dances, and their own language. And um, and some do. Some of them uh, are now doing this, and which makes me happy. So And I like going to the Tunica powwow because I get to uh, visit with a lot of friends and um, uh, the people that are there, you know, a lot of those people do come from their tribe, and they do know their own stuff, and they also do what we call the pan-Indian thing, which is... What does that mean, by the way? Pan-Indian? Pan-Indian, that means that it's like a mixture of all different types of Native American stuff coming together. Like, you would have one song, okay? One song would be uh, a song where dance is dealing with northern dance, you know, like the, the uh, jingle dress song from up north. And then you've got some that are plains. 
you got some that are different places, uh, and you they put it all together, and uh, and I guess it's to show the different dances, um, you know. But I really would like to see them incorporate, you know, say the Apache dances or the Northwest dances, you know, or the uh, stomp dances, the smoke dances, or different things like that incorporated in that and that's not I guess it is a, uh, just a, a set circuit it's like uh, like one of our announcers said it's like um, what do you call it um, how did she say uh, um, like a rodeo you're going out for prize money they mm -hmm. dance for prize money you know and uh, and I think that in a lot of times is more important than sometimes the traditions are, you know. I see. Worried about how much money they're going to make, or they win prize money, or whatever, and uh, and they don't know their own culture or do their own culture because there got to be more money involved in it. And it's not all of them that way, you know. It's just some. Yeah. So I take each one. Like I go to this one, and I go to a lot of others. So powwow doesn't represent all tribes. And I think the outside world don't see that. They see the powwow, and they think, oh, that's generic. That's all Indians, but we're not generic people. You know, we don't... There's all, a lot of variety. I mean, yeah, we don't nations. all practice the same faith or the religion or ceremonies. Uh, like, people will come up to me and say, do you sweat? I'm from Louisiana. I sweat every day. Right. I don't need to sweat lodge. <laughs> you know? and, uh, and, and we never, I mean, as far as Southeastern natives... We, we've not documented that we ever had sweat lodges. Why? Because we live in an area that you walk outside and you just drench. You know, where a lot of these places where the sweat lodges were taking place, um, the dry, arid places where they don't sweat a lot. So they have to induce the sweating because sweating is part of a purification product, process. And they always ask why me being the age I am, my skin is so smooth and all of this stuff. I said, I live in the South, man. Right. We moisturize every day, you know? Yeah, and I think I, about that all the time. When I go out to, like, Las Vegas for our trade shows, oh, you yeah. see the locals that live in that dry environment. They age so much oh, faster. Like, the skin is, like, leathery. I had somebody yesterday. I was at an event yesterday, and the lady walks up to me, and she's pretty much the same age as I am. And she goes, you don't age, man. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. I said... Well, I stay outside a lot, you know, and yeah. I, I and I, I do sweat, you know, and and uh, and, and you know it's the humid. And right. she's not from here, you know, but she says you don't age. Right. And I said a lot of our people that live here, if they live here most of their life, they really don't age, you know, unless they they're living a great lifestyle. Right. You know? Yeah, other factors. But, but if yeah. they live in a good lifestyle, they really, you know, your skin stays smooth. It doesn't sag. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like. She's like, you have the blemishes, you got the other stuff, and you're almost 70 years old. I mean, I remember stuff. meeting you 20, what, now 20 years that we've known each other. Um, you still look the same. Yeah, everybody says I look the same. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, my mom, my mom's in her 90s, and um, people think she's in her late 50s, early 60s. Wow. She's in her 60s, yeah. Wow. And, um, but I guess it's also genes, too. You know? Yeah. But it does have a lot to do with the, uh, the environment that we're in. Right. And maybe cigar smoking? 
maybe. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's since yeah. I was 10. Right. <laughs> so, no, I want to get into that, if you don't mind. Um, yeah. I thought it was so appropriate, and thank you for joining us for our first episode. Uh, in fact, my father even brought it to me independently. Our first guest has to be Greyhawk. <laughs> and we thought, yeah, both that it's appropriate, given that the Native Americans were the first people in human history to use tobacco. Tobacco, correct? yeah. And... You view ha, tobacco, ha, pure tobacco. What's it? Hakchuma. 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 This yeah. is the word for tobacco? For tobacco, yeah. Now, for what us, nation are you? For us. What I'm nation? a Muscogee nation. Okay. Southeastern Muscogee. That's Choctaw, Homa, Chickasaw, uh, Alabama, Cushada, Creek, you know, Seminole. That's all Muscogee nation. Okay. So I thought it was appropriate. So, you know, I have a cigar for us. If, feel free if you want to light up. I'm going to light up now. Oh, There's you, no pressure, you, though. You're not gonna, you, yeah. you don't have to twist my own. Right. No, you don't have to twist So I think it's appropriate to, you know, kind of delve into this topic a bit more. Because, I, I mean, you and I, I think, built this instant kinship with our mutual love and appreciation for pure tobacco. Oh, God, I remember the first day we met. Man. Yeah. And, you know, we hit it off. You yeah. Know, we were like, boom, you know. Right. Cigar, cigar people that way. That's I right. I mean, you know, we're a whole different, you know, when you're dealing with cigars, and I find this out, you know, I mean, Native people, you know, tobacco is very important to us. But I've noticed, and I think that's why I've been drawn to going to cigar shops. Mm-hmm. It's like there is a, a, I guess what you call it, a, a kinship, a, a bond that you get with people. I mean, you could walk in, and there could be the richest guy and the poorest guy, and they both pulling out these cigars, and before you know it, they're brothers, man. Mm-hmm. You don't care about where they live. Who mm-hmm. they, you are now cigar brothers, and you don't even think about where they come from, and you become friends forever. And uh, and that's happened to me. You know, I've, I, every place I go in the world, even France, wherever I'm at, I will find a cigar shop. And when I get in there, there's an instant bond with the people in there. I'll pull a cigar out and... And uh, and before you know it, they we start talking, and and it's great. Like when I went to France one time, I walked into a, a cigar shop in Paris, and I had two of the cigars that you made, you know, for me, and a couple of them in my pocket. And the guy looks at it, and he owns the shop, and he goes, asked me to look at him, and I showed him, and they were Danny Greyhawks, and and uh, he says. Where'd you get that? And I told him, and I says, "Could I have one?" I handed it to him, and he gave me about six or seven Cubans. Oh wow! Because <laughs> he can't get those. Right. And uh, we bonded, man. I mean, it was it was great, you know. And it just, and I find that everywhere I go, when you walk into a cigar shop, you make friends, and and that's I think that was part of the whole thing with tobacco. It was a friendship thing, you know, and uh, and it should be. And it shouldn't be taught as being something horrible because it wasn't. It was a medicine for us, and uh, uh, and so that's it's good for two people or, or more to sit down and have a cigar, and and and, and talk, you know. And um, so we would get more into the the, the meaning of the smoke and things like that. But yeah, I'm gonna light this. Yeah, thing yeah. Up. Don't let me uh, yeah. hold you up. And but while you're uh, getting getting the cut and light down. That's what we have to face, or at least it's part of my mission statement, to try to educate people of the real benefits of tobacco. And I get why there's this view worldwide that tobacco's evil. And my my view is that it's because the cigarette industry really corrupted that, right? 
And oh, so, most definitely. And which, in our view, you and I know this, cigarettes are not the real, like what I call the real way to use tobacco. Correctly. The real tobacco. Yeah, there's no tobacco in it, practically. So, like I said, I make it my mission to really educate people on the, the, the real benefits of, of pure tobacco. And, uh, you know, a lot of people make the distinction, but there's still a lot that don't. They want to lump cigars and pipe tobacco with cigarettes. Now you have the vape sector, which is another abomination in my view. But, you know, I'm still of the view that, look, if you want to enjoy that, that's, that's on, on you. Well, you know, it, it, it again, it, I kind of look at vaping as kind of wimpy smoking. Right. <laughs> you know, right. Like, you know, it's, uh, and then you don't know the, the uh, what is it, the uh, long range effects of that yet. This know? generation, unfortunately, is the guinea pigs for yeah. that. We're going to see these ramifications years, decades from now. And it's probably going to go the way that, that we saw with the cigarette industry, with the, the, the big lawsuits the master settlement agreement that came about. Fortunately, cigars were never part of that. No, because never. a lot of people still make that distinction that we're, we're different. You know, we're, we're, in my view, more natural, more pure. It's beautiful. I think the benefits outweigh the cost. Well, I, I, I know, you know, like I said, we, we've got an audience here, you know, but yeah, I, I know people from all different walks of life that smoke cigars. I even know doctors that smoke cigars. A lot of That's them. right. Yeah. And uh, but never touched a cigarette. I've never right. never smoked a cigarette in my life, you know. And uh, we'll never do that, you know. I, I tried the pipe for a while, but I don't do that because sometimes the pipe tobacco has oils and additives, yeah. in casings. It. They and call I, it. You know, yeah. it, to me, I I I can't do that. It mm-hmm. makes me lose my voice. But if I ever lose my voice, all I need is a good cigar, and boop, it comes back. You know. Wow. But it's, it's medicine for me, you know. Mm-hmm. No, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. And I thought it was appropriate to have you on to give your, you know, impart your view on tobacco and how it was used, you know, especially in your, your nation. and Especially well, it's viewed as a, a holy thing, right? The problem is, is, it, is that the outside world for us um, destroys a lot of things. Because it's funny where... <clears throat> young, the young people now, some of the young people will walk in and hand me tobacco because that's an, uh, a tradition. You, If you walk up to an elder and you don't give tobacco, that's an insult. Wow. And now some of the younger people are bringing me tobacco ties and handing it to me and because uh, they know what it means. They know that it's part of our prayer. They know it's part of our ceremony. But unfortunately, a lot of our our people have been brainwashed uh, to think, oh, but, you know, again, a lot of these people have gotten away from the pure tobacco, the real tobacco, and they only know cigarettes. Right. Because, I mean, growing up, I mean, all my uncles, I mean, I had uncles, I mean, from day one, I always had cigars with them, you know, from, from when I was a little kid. You saw cigars. And then eventually, the generation after my grandpa and all, they started, when they came back from the war and all that, what did they do? They started smoking cigarettes. It was a no back then. Yeah, it was given to them when they were in war, in packs. And and so cigars, you know, uh, became something that, well, we don't do that. It's the end thing now to smoke a cigarette. 
because it's in the movies now and this, that, and the other thing. I love it when I see an old movie and guys are blowing up cigars. Yeah, smoking cigars, like, yeah, yeah. Man, you know, but uh, I remember how cool it was to watch my uncles, you know, uh, you know, pull out the cigar and start smoking the cigar, and they'd go through the motions of what you do when you light up a cigar. They would do their ceremony, you know, and... Uh, and, and then sit there and, and do their ceremony, smoke their cigar, and then watch it just go out. And uh, and then clip it and save it for later. And then maybe throughout the day, you know, they need to do a little bit more prayer or a little bit more this, and they light that cigar back up and you'd see them do that. And, and I know people watch me when I'm at Jazz Fest or whatever, and they watch they said, you hold that cigar all day long. And do you actually smoke? Oh yeah, yeah I do, I do. You know when I need it, I'll 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 light it up and I'll, I'll puff it. And it gets me through what I need to get through, and I, and and, uh, and then you know I go on my way, and eventually the cigar goes out. I clip it and I save it, and throughout the I like one at Jazz Fest, two days smoke one, one cigar, unless I'm sitting with some more budge, you know. Right, <laughs> and, right. But under my, the tree, huh? Yeah, under the tree in, in, in my little on my little porch. Yeah. You know? But uh and, and it's funny because I'll and to, to show you how in cigars are still and people don't realize how many people are are, are still cigar smokers. I will sit on my front porch at Jazz Fest, me and my buds, and we're smoking cigars and the guys are come by and yeah. Oh God, I smell that, you know, yeah. and Where'd you get them cigars? I said, we brought them here ourselves. And they go, yeah. oh, man, if we got extras, we'll hand them one. Right. But it's funny. I'll be at Jazz Fest, and I'll have my cigars. And by the time I leave, I got twice as many cigars than I had when I got there. Wow. Because people will come by, and they will hand me a cigar and say, hey, brother, and hand me a cigar. And, and friendship. And I'm going, God, you know, that's what it's supposed to be. Right. And... Um, and that spanned back thousands of years. Thousands of years, you know. And now, what's funny, even non-natives that come up will, in fact, a couple of guys that work at Jazz Fest, they make sure that they've got quite a few cigars that every time they pass where I'm at, they hand me a cigar. That's awesome. And then I'll see them and I'll hand them a cigar. And uh, my friend Tim, he goes, well, you came here with, with one little humidor. You got two bags right. of cigars now. Yeah. It's like, well, I can't smoke all of them right. at one, you know. So I wind up giving a lot away, you know. You get a surplus, you know. That's you know, but uh, but you know, it's good memories, you know, and and made me re- makes me realize that there are still a lot of people that are true cigar smokers that right. they don't smoke a cigar every day, but they do it because it's something special, like if they're fishing or if they're out on their back porch or whatever, you know. it's not Celebrating like, a milestone? Yeah, milestone. You know, it, it's like you're a whole different class of person when you're right. smoking a cigar, you know. And um, and it's neat to, to be around those guys because it's their whole different attitude. You know, you got to be a certain type of person to respect and, 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 and smoke a cigar because – you know, it's not like smoking a cigarette where sometimes these guys one after the other. Because right. they're it's the very, feeding addiction. They're very habit forming. Yeah. And cigars are not. You know, uh, to them, it's like a relaxation. It's like I'm with my buds. 
by labor of three law. Uh, it's 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 a I guess we call it rite of passage. You know, it's like uh, it's you know you are now you belong to a certain society now. Right. You know, and uh, and uh, and and it feels good. And I've I've seen myself. You know, in the morning I always get up and I do my ceremony and do what I need to do. Clip the cigar and I'll, I'll put it away. Uh, and there's times where, you know, I just do that in the morning. Um, but sometimes, like if I'm with you or other friends, you know, I'll smoke a whole cigar. You know, and, uh, and, and because it's, we're, we're friends and, and we're, we're talking and, you know, and, and, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a brotherhood. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that makes me feel like it was a thousand years ago. You know, that it wasn't, a fad and it wasn't something that you did because it was um you're addicted because we wasn't addicted to it you know it was something that was special and to me walking into your shop and sitting in the in the, in the lounge with other buds you know it's something it's it is it's a ceremony you know people sitting down and relaxing and getting to know each other you know and that's what the fight would the pipe and passing the tobacco was you get to know the other person you know, you talk, and uh, you take a puff in, and you blow that smoke up. That's your words going out to the universe. And, you know, if you're lying, that smoke goes up to the universe. If you're lying to that person, you don't have to deal with that person. you got to deal with the universe because it's a higher power to us, you know, the universe. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and that smoke represents your words coming out. And they should be pure. And if they're not, something's wrong. Wow. Yeah, it's something about, especially in lounges that are communal, you get, like you've alluded to, different uh, people from different walks of life. And this cigar is the equalizer. Oh, yeah. And nobody asks yeah. you, where you, where yeah. you, are you a doctor? Politics are set aside, no gender, race, oh, yeah. everything. This is the common denominator. And to me, that's beautiful. It's, it's very almost, I guess, Call it democratic or just equal. Oh yeah. Oh, they'll right. say, "Hey, what cigar are you smoking?" Yeah, yeah. And how you like that one? I'm gonna try that one next. Yeah. You know, and, or you go, eh. you right? Know, and right. I go. I'm not gonna try that one. Why don't you try this one? And I'll try it. And now, do you yeah. remember what brands your uncle smoked when you were growing up? Oh my or, god. Or did, um, they didn't hand roll their own, or did they just buy? I, I he he bought. Um, I mean, I saw everything from. Uh, what do you call it? Dutch Masters, mm -hmm. uh, you name it, white, whatever. You know, whatever was at the local um, mom and pop store. Yeah. That was in the box at the time. Keep Movings? All of them, man. Yeah, Keep Movings, yeah. And uh, my, my uncle was telling me a story, and this happened a long time ago. We were getting Cubans, <laughs> and um, a lot of my people were on the coast of Louisiana, and guys that would come from Cuba. We'd come up and they would trade. Oh, and cool. so all of a sudden, you know, he said, one of my uncles, he's passed away now, but he said um, they would come and they would trade some of the things that we have here from Cuba. And they would leave tons of Cuban cigars. And they were always wondering why all the tribes on the coast were smoking oh, Cuban man. cigars, man. Whoa. It's like because we were trading. Yeah. You know, and that was funny because... That made me realize how long we've been connected 
to Central and South America, and we've been trading, you know, and uh, tobacco was part of that. Yeah. Tobacco was the commodity that built this country, you know, post-Columbus. Oh, yeah. Was the, the was the cash crop that built this country's economy. People forget that. Oh, yeah. yeah you know, and yet you have some people that want to, like, kind of put that under the rug and, you know, erase that from history. Well, think about this, man. The boxes back in the 1700s and going into the 1800s, if you had tobacco, they had locks on those boxes. That's how... Uh, valuable tobacco was that you had boxes with your tea they were locked your tobacco they were locked that was the two commodities man you know think about the Boston Tea Party you know think about tobacco you know and and all those were the two things that made uh, cultures uh, I guess what you call it rich Mm -hmm. you know the Europeans Oh, yeah. The Dutch were Dutch masters. It's a tribute to yeah. that group that really, I guess, from a European stand- viewpoint, used tobacco successfully to enrich themselves. Well, everything from that to snuff. I mean, oh, yeah, they snuff. they locked it all up, man. I mean, you know. Have you ever done snuff? I tried it once. Yeah, I did too. I did. Cleared up my sinuses, yeah. I tell you that. Yeah, I you can't know? do that. Yeah. No, it's not something I, I would get into, you know, but some people do, you know. Yeah. We, yeah, I don't even think we have any skew that 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 snuff related. That's I, pretty much you dead. don't see it anymore. You yeah, know. but at one point they even had snuff boxes snuff that were boxes. in vogue. Oh yeah, to store the snuff powder. That's it, and they sniff yeah. it, you know, and right. Whew, yeah, know. but uh, I mean that was you know a quick fix. You yeah, know? But, but I don't view that as pure necessarily. No, it wasn't the it, way to consume it was, tobacco. It was um, almost like a cigarette. Yeah, almost like that. It, it had additives in it. Oh, some of them did, oh. you know, but, uh, um, but, you know, thinking about, you know, and I have a couple of antique, um, tobacco boxes and they would, they have keys on them, you know, oh. and they've got compartments because you didn't mix the tobaccos and the same thing with tea. You had compartments and you had a center. It was so funny the way that was because, and I think the tobacco was the same way. When they were starting to use the pipe tobacco, if you look at the old um, tea boxes, uh, you had different types of teas. You have like four compartments, and in the middle, it was almost like a bowl, and they would mix and make a special. They would make their own blend, oh, cool. and then they'd lock that thing up. But you had different types so you had the, of the base, the base portions of each. Yeah, you had different tea types type. of teas in there, and the same thing with some of the tobacco boxes. You had different types of tobacco. They were isolated from each other, and then there was a center of it that they would do the mixing and mix it up to put in their pipes, you know. Almost like a chef. Yeah. He has his ingredients same separate, thing. and, and it, then they would put hey, it together. Just like the dry hot tea, you know, same yeah, thing. Yeah. The tobaccos, you have certain blends, Yeah, you know, and uh, and uh, it was, uh, I guess you could say a science, too, you know. Yeah. But uh, uh, you had certain things that you liked. And that's the way. And like I said, I anybody that gets a chance to look up uh, tea boxes and tobacco boxes from the seventeen eighteen hundreds, uh, look them up. You can still buy them on online, antique ones, and uh, and you'll There's see. There's a market, huh? Yeah, and because people collect it, and um, and it was that special, hmm. you know. And people don't realize that, you know. Unfortunately, 
the 1930s and 40s uh, messed up tobacco because of uh, uh, cigarettes became popular um, you know who wants to smoke a paper who wants to smoke glue you know and that's what it was they yeah. they did something that they could mass produce yeah. and and get out there and uh, you can't do that with cigars you know especially back then a lot of those cigar companies didn't have machines everything was hand rolled yeah even like the dutch masters you mentioned at one they point they were hand rolled like hand-rolled. a lot of the like, the cigars we consider, what in our industry, we call the mass market cigars. Yeah. Basically, the machine made cigars. Yeah. They were hand, a they lot were, of them were handmade. A lot at some of them point. were hand rolled. We, yeah. we used to sell some vintage, I think they were white owls. Yeah, and they were hand rolled. And they were hand, they yeah. were the hand rolled variety. Uh, Dutch Masters, uh, 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 what is it? Uh, okay, there's a whole bunch. And back then, you know, you could buy them. Phillies, too. Remember Phillies? Yeah, Phillies. Yeah, yeah Phillies. That was, like, we sold some handmade and I think were, from the 30s. They were, they were hand rolled until. Probably the late fifties. Okay, yeah. you know, because in the fifties when they was they were now they would show it on the different programs. They was they would say, get a Philly hand rolled, get that. But as you got out of the fifties into the sixties, it started changing a little bit. You know, but uh, um, and then now you got they sell what they call uh, wannabe cigars now. You know, like Swisher Sweets and things yeah. like that. Yeah. You know. But uh, everybody, I smoke a cigar, you know, I go, what do you smoke? Swish your sweet. And I go, oh, like, God, oh, yeah. I need a cigar, man. Yeah. Get a real cigar. Be a man, you yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. But what's funny is that in our culture, it was not just men. Men and women smoke right. tobacco. Right, You know, it was, it was, you know, in this society, uh, it was like, you know, well, cigarettes, women and men smoke cigarettes. But now you start to see a lot of women smoke, coming back smoking smoke, cigars. In this country. In this country, yeah. yeah. Because in Latin America, where the cigars are made, there's no stigma about females smoking cigars. In fact, oh, no. they've always been valued in our industry because of their capacity to gently handle the tobaccos or rolling yeah. or sorting the leaf. So down there, it's great when I visit these factories. The women are smoking smoking, cigars yeah. while rolling. It's beautiful. But in this country, unfortunately, it's... For a, for a while, it's been seen only as a male activity. It was funny. We were sitting on my front porch at Jazz Fest, and my tribal chief, which is a woman, my cousin, we're sitting on the front porch with her, her fiancé, me, and, her, and we're all smoking cigars. That's awesome. And she's up there smoking a cigar with us. You I love know? that. And it's like, wow, okay, that's tradition. That's it. Man. That's tradition. Yep. Tobacco transcends gender. It does. Race and all these other... Well, you know, and there's a rite of passage. You know, I didn't smoke my first cigar until I was like 10. Mm-hmm. And um, um, when, and it's another thing, you know, you get to the point where you use tobacco in ceremony. You have to, you, you, make, you make tobacco ties as offerings. Um, you uh, use tobacco when you, you're, 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 you sprinkle tobacco on the, on the land to, to show you and you are at one with, with the earth. And um, and if you cut your, t- your cigar, you take it and you rub it down and you put it back into the earth as an offering, you know. And uh, so it is. It's very, and, and, you know, it's a medicine. I mean, think about this, you know. Uh, it pulls out infections. I remember you telling me a story with the wasp oh, when you God. were in the state parks. Can you yeah, tell I me got, that story I got, again? I got nailed by I don't know how many wasps got me. 
and uh, I had a cigar in my pocket, and we took that thing, cut it in half, we put it in water, and we covered every one of my beast names because they 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 counted them as forty beast names. Whoa! And uh, and we I was I was covered, and and we put tobacco on all those beast names, and um, I was fine. I was fine, you know, unless you're really definitely allergic to beast yeah. names, but. Um, you know, and I, we had, I, I think we were doing a uh, summer camp and some kids accidentally um, stepped in a hornet's nest. Oh, man. And, or yellow jacket nest and, and uh, got hit. And uh, the only ones I was able to do was the ones I knew their parents would be okay with it. And, um, and cut the T-shirt up and wrapped it. And all of them, when the parents came, uh, the ones that were I knew, um, it was just a little pink thing. Wow. You know, the other ones had to go to the doctor because I, you know, I couldn't do it. Right. You know? Yeah, you didn't want to upset, you know, the parents of the lower But I knew that these people you know, it had would benefits. be fine, yeah. plus my, my, my grandson was with us. And um, so, you know, again, you can't do that. Can't use it as a medicine because everybody goes, oh no, you right. know, because it's again cigarettes. It, 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 it's all thrown into one big lump, you know. And, uh, hmm. But you know, with us, like I said, you know, even talking like this, if anybody it's anti-cigar cigarettes, they'll be listening. Oh no, no, you know that's not right. But hey, I grew up with it. You know, I know it works and it doesn't work. Right. Uh, but I also have to do a disclaimer. Don't do anything I'm telling you to do right. here because right. I'm just saying this is what I do. Not what That's you your do, belief. Not what you do. Mm-hmm. You know, I, and you're, as a native person that knows herbs and medicine, you know, you never tell anybody, do this because you can't. You can say, this is what I do, and that's, leave it at that. You know, don't ever say, oh, you do this. You know, don't right. tell that. I'm not telling anybody in here to pick up a cigar. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, I'm just telling you, this is what I do. Um, because, um, you know, today's society, you know, everybody gets all upset and they get bent out of shape and they want to sue, they want to do this, they want to do that. And so you do your thing, you know, and, uh, and that's what I do. You know, I don't ever tell anybody, oh, you got to smoke a cigar. Right. You know? no, yeah, it's don't. good, you it's good for you. Yeah, you can't you say know, that. I can't yeah. say that, you know, yeah. um, because, um, you know, maybe it's not good for everybody. But right. also, you, they don't have the same frame of mind. Plus, they're not using the same tobaccos or whatever. Right. You know? and so, uh, you have to be real careful about that. But, you know, as we're talking about history, uh, for us, yeah, tobacco is very, very important. It's very uh, sacred. Um, and it's funny because I always know... When I get, I'm out in the sun, and I get the right color, I match my cigar. <laughs> what? Oh, nice. <laughs> it's funny because they laugh. They go, all right, which cigar are you smoking? I said, well, I'll put my arm up. And I want that <laughs> one right there. That's the one that matches my skin color. Yeah. You know, and, and, and it's funny because we do the same thing with the earth. You know, um, as a native, we walk up to the earth and we go, yeah, that's where I come. 
because we were the same color as the earth that we were at, you know. Wow. And my cigars, when I get to a certain tan that I get, I usually match a cigar. Come on. You know, you can't tell my fingers from a cigar, you know. As you and I know both that cigars come in a wide variety of colors. Oh, they do. From they the blonde do. shade to the Colorado brown to the oscuro, like almost black. Oh, I, I've gotten to the Maduro's real dark ones, and yeah. I go, I think that's a little bit dark for me, but yeah. I have gotten that dark, you yeah. know. It's like, you know, I've gotten that dark. But usually it's, it's, it's uh, you know, that natural copper uh, tone color, that red. Sounds healthy. Yeah, real, real nice color, you yeah. know, and they all laugh. So that's when I know I got the cigar I'm supposed to be smoking. It's the same color as my uh, my skin. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, I uh, in in researching tobacco because you know me, I I'm just a sponge when it comes to absorbing right, anything tobacco yeah. related history. You know, in, in terms of history, I heard that, and if you want to provide your insight, supposedly tobacco as a plant, the ancestral home, the origin was from Peru. Peru, yeah. Have you heard? Do you agree with well, that? We, what, can, what can you provide for that? Think, and I don't know if there's any way to know, verify that. I know that. some of the old strains are from Peru, but we've had tobacco for a long time, too. You know? Right. And uh, it is part of our culture. In fact, there are pipes uh, that date back through the mounds, which are 12, 2,000 years. And, uh, and you know, they find, you know, our pipes were, was funny that you, when you think of a pipe, um, you think of the the peace pipe these guys spoke. Well, they didn't look like that. You know, some of them look like cigar holders. You know, what? if you look, I, I've got a. They, what's really cool? They made a great chart because they they've gone to a lot of historic sites, mounds, and they found different pipes, clay pipes. In fact, I've got one in a car. Oh show man! You. And it's an old one. Yeah. That one's only about eight hundred years. But, Only, uh, oh, yeah, oh, gee, and it was given to me, um, and it does fit a cigar perfect. It's really funny because a certain cigar will fit right into that bowl perfectly. Wow! And and people have taken pictures of me smoking a cigar in that pipe, you know, and talk about a great draw, man. It was just great. Um, but some of them are just straight. Where the tobacco was rolled and put at the end, like it's like a cigar, mm. and uh, and you know and, and and I need to get one of those charts for you. It shows you the different styles of uh, of pipes that we use here in the southeast. Oh yeah, I'd like to get that. We'd we'd frame I'll, it up. In fact, I I'll, I'm going to be at a place that I could probably get one. If I'm going to, you know, I'll get you one of those charts. Cool. And it shows you all that it, it's not the peace pipe that people see in the movies. It's a lot older. And wow. uh, like the one that I got, it's funny because the person that made it, his fingerprints are still in the clay. And it was in a site that my people come from. And so it was somebody in my family over 800 years ago that made that pipe and his fingerprints still stuck in that. And you can see in, in the pipe when he, he made it, one of his fingerprints is still in the that's so cool because you smoking from that, you're like transcending, like connecting. Oh, definitely. How many generations ago? We used that pipe and uh, we did a documentary uh, called Hidden Nations. And they were wanting to use a, a, a pipe. And I had to have, I happened to have it with me. So in the, uh, the documentary, the guy that was portraying one of our chiefs, 
I handed him that fight, and it's in the documentary. And it just, you can see it's, it's great. It's got a face carved in the front of it, you know. And uh, uh, and he, it was used uh, to show that that's the type of fight was used here. It wasn't that one with the long stand and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah, okay. That's cool. But uh, there were many different types. Yeah. And this goes back to trying to educate, especially the anti-tobacco folk, which I get. I, I understand their concern. But this is... This is not what you've it's, been brainwashed to think. Yeah, it's, it's... But again, disclaimer, I mean, look, there, there are benefits and there are risks. Well, you know, there are everything. With and everything else. My, my, my grandfather used to say, anything in moderation. You know, you can't sit there and, and 24 hours a day <clears throat> do something. You know, you can't sit there 24 hours a day and smoke, 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 smoke. You figure right. nothing's going to happen to you. Do the same thing with drinking Cokes or drinking coffee, you drink, you, you drink coffee 24 hours a day, that's going to be an effect, yeah. effect to you. You know, but in moderation, everything's all right in moderation. You know, uh, but people don't know moderation sometimes. They don't know when to hold back, you know. And, yeah, it's respected. It's like, it's like food, you know. In moderation, it's good. Overindulging, it's not good, yeah. you know. So, uh, but um, with me, you know, it's... Um, the um, cigar, you know, it's, it's special to prayer. It's a ceremony for me, and it's, if you look at it compared to most cigar smokers, it's moderation for me, you know, and it's not something I'm going to abuse because we're not supposed to abuse it, you know, and, uh, and like the guys that come here, you know, and, and the people that come here, the men and women that come here, they, they come here to, to, it's like ceremony. They come, a personal they, ritual. They come here, they sit down, and they do that. And they might not touch another one until they come back the next week and sit down again. You know, it's a ritual, and that's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, guys that, uh, <clears throat> that, that uh, and I know people that, like my uncles, that always had a cigar in their hand. But I always noticed that cigar half the time was you know, it was like either they were holding their mouth, they're holding it in their fingers, they lay it down. And I noticed that. I noticed that it wasn't something that they just sat down and just hurried up and smoked it. It was something that they did leisurely. They did it, you know, and they sit there and they sit down for a minute and they go, huh, pull out their matches and light it again, sit there for a little while and then, then put their cigar down and go do their thing again. Yeah. Then come back maybe a couple hours later, pick it up. Light it up again, you know. It's like you don't do that with cigarettes. Don't do it. Don't do that. Don't do that with a lot of things. And I think uh, again, watching them made me realize that there was more to that. And then as I got older, start learning the, the meaning and the symbolism behind the tobacco. My uncles and and, and all were doing a tradition, you know. And it's the same thing that I do, you know. And uh, and like I said, that, you know, again, it's, you have to have that mindset, you know, and, and uh, that it is sacred. It is something that's special. And uh, I think if you think of it that way, you won't abuse it. Right. And show you, reverence for you it. Show reverence to it, you know. Do you want to talk about the smoke reading and oh how you use God. it? Yeah, you don't we, have to. Yeah, we could do that. You can do it. I've always been fascinated by that. 
And you, I guess if, if you don't mind, you don't have to. But to <coughs> me, that's so just really interesting how you use tobacco. Because I used to remember collect some leaves for you. Right, or, right. You know, cigars that you would use for the smoke reading. Well, in, in, in our culture, the, the smoke is very important. Like there's a song that I wrote I know, yeah. called Pisa A Soubli. I was humming that this watch, morning, by the way. Watch the smoke yeah. because it'll talk to you. It'll tell you things. Um, and being a smoke reader, um, it's be, it's got to be taught. It's not something that just happens automatically. You have to be able to know how to read that smoke and see what's in that smoke. And uh, I've had friends of mine that watched me do that and it took pictures and I'm like look over and they said it's oh yeah it's fine you do it and took it from two different angles and and saw image from one angle and the other and it was the same you could see it was like three-dimensional and uh and I could see they could see the image in that smoke and um and it stayed there um and again it's something that you know, you have to be taught something that just doesn't have to come natural, I guess. Uh, you do have to have it in you, you know, for an elder to teach you. They got to know that, you know, you have the, I guess, something special that you can do that. And I don't know a lot of people that still do it. Um, I might be the last one. I don't know. You know but, uh, um, you know, at least, no my area, you know, that, um, where um, you walk into a place, and, you know, a good friend of mine, Mac, um, called me up, come to my house, I want you to check my house out, and go in and do a smoke reading, and, uh, and watch the things, and watch where the smoke went, and, and it was really interesting, because it would go to something that he just brought back home, which I knew nothing about, and he used to say, something's right here and uh, I would blow the smoke and it form a ball in the middle of the room and all of a sudden it start moving and it kept going to wherever it was and, and I go whatever's bothering you right there and he said God I just said it was my bag and he opens it up and it's something he just brought from somewhere else and it had this negative energy in it and that smoke was straight wow. and I'm just like I don't I can't explain it you know something that I've watched you know, my grandmother do things that with medicines, and I, I go, it's hard to explain. You know, how, when she did this, it's like, how does that happen? You know, when she cut into somebody's hair and into a willow tree, and they had an asthma attack, they couldn't breathe. And all of a sudden, they cut, she cut their hair, put their back to it, cut their hair, and all of a sudden, <gasps> they could breathe and never have that problem anymore. And I sit there and go, Wow, how did that happen? Can't explain it. Yeah. Same thing with smoke reading. Sometimes you, it just happens. You can't explain it. But um, if I sat down and, and, and wrote down everything that I've ever done with for smoke reading, it would be a great book. Because that's stuff that, that not only have I seen, but the people I was I was with that can testify and say, "God, I saw that." You know. So yeah, tobacco is, they only use tobacco for that, for smoke reading, you know. For cleansing, you use cedar. And then if you want a strong cleansing, you put some tobacco in with that cedar, man, and it just takes off. 
for cleansing, you know. So, uh, you know, and that's just me. I'm, right. You know, I'm, I'm native. I'm, I'm Muscogee person, you know, and I, it's not for everybody, you know. And I always tell people, you know, look back in your culture and your history and see what your people did because not everything that I do is, is for you. You know, it's for me because it's handed down to me. It's my, part of my culture. But uh, your ancestors might have done something totally different. Right. You know? And uh, maybe it won't work for you, mm-hmm. you know. But no, I always found that fascinating. And then just the stories you would tell over the years of some some of your people's stories that they would tell you. Oh, my God, yeah. Some, uh, I still they, think about some of these stories. <clears throat> it gives me goosebumps. Yeah. It, it's, it's, like uh, the owl Owl, the yeah, owl. owls and, and crows and yeah. a lot of different things. That's cool. Because you know? you've always been into, like, I love your, your like what you're wearing, your, your, the, the rings. And, <laughs> yeah, you know. that keeps me real. Yeah. yeah. Everybody asks me about the rings. Yeah. And, uh, I go, number one, that's what I'm going to be one day. And that's the guy that's going to get me, if you notice the rings. Oh. oh. Ishtahola. Yeah. yeah. Wow. We call, y- y'all call it. Grim Reaper, the Grim Reaper. Ishtahola. Ishtahola? There's a great story about that. I guess it's online. If anybody wants to read yeah, Ishtahola, yeah. do Ishtahola story. Pull up Greyhawk on, on uh, YouTube and uh, find um, Storytelling with Greyhawk at, at Moundville. And you will see the best uh, version of the Ishtahola story because they, they filmed it in black and white and on top of and you cannot see my eyes at all when I'm telling that story. Oh, man. And the lady that, that filmed it said she when she edited it out, and she, she, she was in the dark room, and she said it freaked her out just watching me tell that story. Whoa. She went, whoa. No, I'm going to Google that after. Yeah, and I did one in broad daylight about Easter Hole and, uh, for um, News with a Twist out of New Orleans for Halloween. And uh, the lady that producer I, t- I did it in the studio well I did it outside first and then she was sitting in broad daylight with me she said it just blew her mind you wow. know? And, uh, but that's an old story you know and that, that's what I do you know? yeah collect the old stories and, and keep them going and you you probably still to this day uh, tell stories at like functions I, I or, just or did uh, when you were a teacher. Yeah, and uh, well, I, <coughs> I last year I think yeah at least last year it was last year, the governor's uh, lieutenant governor's office gave me an uh, uh, honor of being called one of the six uh, cultural bearers of the state of Louisiana, and that was part of it not only my music but my storytelling and my writing. Oh, that's cool. And um, I just did a whole thing for the Library of Congress, uh, just. God, uh, not even a little over a month ago, and uh, they sat down and, and they they filmed some of my uh, my stories. But then they went and took pictures of some of the buildings that I built and uh, that are traditional date back thousand, two thousand years ago. And uh, and so it's cool, you know, to be um, finally, you know, I think people are starting to take notice and saying, hey, we we don't want. We know you're getting up in age, and we want to get these things before you croak, you know. And uh, 
And so um, I've got, you know, years and years and years of, of, of his uh, life of just picking up things from now. Most of the people that I, I learned from, they're gone. And, um, and so, you know, a lot of the younger people were coming up to me. We knew this. We know the story. Can you tell us the story? We know you know the whole story. And, uh, you know, there are stories about the tobacco. There are stories about, you know, us coming out of the earth and a lot of the other stories and about the owl and about the crow and all the alligator and, and things and, and, and all. And, and, you know, that because in our culture, every person has a characteristic of a certain animal. And uh, if you sit down and watch that person long enough, you're going to figure out what animal he's most like. Oh. You know, I'll describe one and you tell me if you know anybody like this. This animal, very self-centered. Very self-centered and greedy. Um, basically, um, very, very nearsighted. Doesn't see beyond the nose and his face. And... Uh, most people don't think of that animal when they think of when I say this. In the outside world, they call it meek as a mouse. In the Native American culture, we go, no, arrogant and greedy as a mouse. Cannot see beyond the nose of their face. And there are people like that that are very arrogant, they're very greedy, and they can't see beyond the nose of their face. And that's a mouse person. We see what the animal does, not what you know, and so um, <clears throat> I have a list. I'm doing another book, a new book, and in that book I've got all these stories. But on the back of the book is going to be all the animals, what they mean, and their characteristics, so people can figure out who they are. Oh boy! Uh, you know, and and uh, what animal they most resemble. That's why Native Americans have like my name, Gray Hawk, means something. Gray in our culture means wisdom. And uh, hawk means a person that sees far and sees close. That means that it's a person like a hawk can see very far, but man, down close, it's just as good. And um, it means if you're a hawk person, um, you're a person that sees what they need that's around them today and does the things today that will affect them in the future. Okay, so if you're a kid and you're in the third grade and you want to get to the fourth grade, you need to do the things you need to do right now that can get you to fourth grade. And the same thing with a person, an adult. You need to do things right now. If you want to be successful, if you want to be, you want to accomplish goals and things like that, you need to see what's around you. You need to fig figure out what you need to do right now that's going to get you to where you need to get to in the future. If you can't see what's going on around you right now, there's no way you're going to reach that in the future. Hmm. You know, you need to see what actions you're doing now that are going to affect you in the future in a good way. And a lot of people don't think that way. They only know what's going on right now. They don't think about the future. So generations ago, when your people, when do they name their child? At birth? Do they know in well, terms of what their, uh, their characteristics are? you got many names. Okay, you okay. get a name when you're born, but then you get another name when you become an adult. And your traits? Because fully. they watch you. And they see you, and they see what you're becoming, and uh, and then you're given another name. You might keep the old name, get that one added, 
and then you might gain another name from an elder that passes on because you've got to keep their name going on. So, say for instance, my name would be Andres Tiaslubianake Abibioa. That means, Andres means steadfast, means like a rock. That, that's the name you're given when you're at birth. That's, they want you to be strong, steadfast, or whatever. And in my, my case, it was be hard-headed. You know? mm, yeah. <laughs> but then you get the next name, which is Tiaslubianake, which means Greyhawk. And they see that you're a person that picks up all the information he needs and that he's going to need in the future to help him along. And that's a hawk. Okay? And you've got the gray, which means wisdom. You use wisdom with all those things. So that was given to me when I was young. And then my grandfather's name was Abi. Uh, and Abi, uh, Bio, it means Bio, or Bio Yat, or Bio means Bayou, and Abi means hunter or killer. It means a provider. And that was his name. So boom, 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 boom. You've earned these names, and you got to live up to these names. And if you don't live up to these names, they can be taken away from you. Or sometimes if you don't live up to them, you take name away from yourself until you earn it back. So your name gives you a goal, what you need to achieve and stay at. So if your name is, you know, mouse, that means somebody saw that you're a mouse person. And you got, if you don't want to be a mouse person, you got to change your attitude. you got to change the type of person you are so you can get a new name, you know. And um, so sometimes the names can be very positive. Sometimes they can be negative to show you this is what you need to do to improve if you want to get your name changed. So throughout your life, your name can change, or things can be added, and uh, a lot. And, and it doesn't happen overnight. You just can't walk up to somebody and say, "Your name is now Running Bear." You know, well, that person doesn't know you. They haven't been around you for years and years, and, and, and all they to do that. If they just met you and they said your name's Running Bear, that's not your name. It just sounds cool, you know. It, it, they, they have to really work at looking at you studying you, seeing what kind of person you are, and then they will give you the name that they feel that you deserve. And sometimes it works really like with me. More, a few elders gave me my name, and they saw that in me. They agreed that, that that's who he is. You know, so it was nothing. It was funny that when I was given that name that it just stuck. You know, I, at first I didn't feel that I, I earned it. I knew I deserved it. Then one day, I went, you know what? I am that gray hawk. I am that person. And before you know it, the old name doesn't even exist. The first name doesn't even exist. They only know you as that name now because that's who you became. You became the name that was given to you. And uh, somebody asked me, do you, do you feel that you uh, have changed? And I said, sometimes I do. Sometimes I think I'm an orange rabbit. <laughs> what does that mean? Orange is a person that's uh, sees the new sees every day as a new beginning, but very energetic. And the rabbit is a trickster. Oh, I feel like a trickster <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. You know, it's like I'm, yeah. I'm 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 a trickster that sees every day as a new opportunity oh, no. and a new start, and everybody a new victim. You know, yeah. it's like you know, but uh, but I'm not. You know, I, I thought. I'm, Doing that one day, so I changed my name to Orange Rabbit mm. and just freak everybody out, you yeah. know. But uh, but now I'm still that Greyhawk, yeah. you, know? you know. Wow, that that concept of 
a person living up to the, their family name. It's just it's it's almost universal, but it sounds like your people really. Yeah, you know, it's like I always tell people. I always tell the kids when I'm doing lecture, I says, find out what your name means. You never know what kind of trick your mom and dad pulled on you. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Because you might go, whoa, that's what my name means. Sometimes those names do fit the person. But I think we've gotten away from that. Yeah. We've gotten away from, it's just, if the name sounds cool, we'll just give it to the kid. Yeah. But what does that name mean? What does it mean? What are you, what are you, what are you setting your child up for? Wow. You know, because if you give that child a certain name and it is a negative name, you just set that child up. You know, when they eventually find out what that name means, they go, what? That's what they thought of me? Oh, you know? And uh, so I think every person that has a child before, and that's why a lot of times Native American people do not chain name their child the minute they're born. They wait for a while, and then they, find, they look at that child for a while, and they go, wow, I see something in that child. So Andres means steadfast. It means like a rock. Also means hard at it, you know. So they they pegged me, you yeah. know. It was like Been you, you know. And, and and I think every person out there, if you're having a child, don't give that name because it sounds cool. Do research, watch your child for a while, and and and, and see how that child's acting. See the reaction, things that are going on, because you can see it from birth. What's going on with that child? You can see in its eyes. You can see the way it's acting. You can see the way it's. It's, it's it's relating to you and, and things around them. And you go, wow, that, let me give that, that child that name, you know, because that's who that child is, you know. Or that's who I want that child to be, you know. And uh, Or you give that child a name that you want them to be, you know, something that's very positive, something that you see in them that you say, hey, I want them to be like that, so I'm going to give them that name. They might, like I said, like when I got older, it, it changed, or it was added. You know, they saw something else in me as I got older. And um, so name's not just something lightly to be taken, taken, you right. know, taken lightly, you know. Um, it, even like, you know, you think about the Europeans. They call somebody Cooper. Well, why, are they, why are they called a Cooper? Because they named barrels. They identify yeah, people's with, names with their occupation. With their occupation yeah. and what they, who, what they became or oh. what their family is. You know, they were hmm. Coopers. They were Smiths, blacksmiths. They were this, that, and that thing. And it's like, and what, what did that usually happen? That child fell right in with what their father was mm -hmm. doing, mm -hmm. you know? And so that's not too far off of what we were, we were doing, you know? Yeah. And uh, so, um, you know, look at your last name. Like my, my last name, uh, my, my European last name is Perkins. It means son of Peter. You know, in my eyes, I, look, I think Peter Pan. Because <laughs> I ain't never going to grow up. Yeah. You know, but uh, yeah, but yeah look, at, look at your name. You know, look at what that's it funny, means. Man. That's funny you mentioned that because you see this. This yeah. is our family crest. I got this in one of my trips to Spain. Oh, cool. So Molina. It's, I guess, the feminine of Molino, yeah. which that means mill. Now, that could have been windmill or like a, like a, I guess, a stone mill. A mill, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, and this, this well, represents that mill. Like. That's what it looks like. 
But then they they attributed the 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 castle. I don't. I, but I still need to learn more about well, what even, that means. Even though you think about if how far back that stated, whatever they would have made that mill, that's what it would look like. Mm-hmm. You know, it would have been with that material. Yeah. You know, we 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 need to stop thinking about the 20th century when we're talking about our ancestors, because you know we need to think about what's going on back then. What materials were being used. Uh, what styles were being used, and all you know. Cause I, you know, if you go and you've been to Europe, I've been to, I've been all over France and Europe, and stayed in some places. Man, I'm sitting there and I'm looking up at the, uh, at, at the building I'm in. I don't think I stayed in a building that was anything younger than 14th century. I mean, I mean, yeah, most of the buildings I stayed in were very old. And I'm sitting there and I'm look, I'm, I'm thinking and I'm looking up at the beams, and you can see the axe marks in them. From them making the beams and thinking about my God, 14th century, who made that? And then I start thinking about my people. And my 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 grand my grandfather was a boat builder. He was a cabinet maker. You know, boom! I'm looking at the work up there, and I'm doing some of the same. Yeah, things. you're doing that too, huh? You know, now you know I'm 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 doing exactly what my grandfather and his father. My other my grandfather was a blacksmith. You know, and uh, and I've done iron work. Wow, without even thinking about it, I'm thinking, I'm doing it. It's in your blood. Yeah, and then I think about Peter Pitchler Perkins. He traveled and he talked and he went to all these places. He met Charles Dickens. He did all this stuff. And I'm thinking, dude, that's me. You know, and then he connected with Charles Dickens. And then I was in France realizing I was sitting in some of the same places Dickens was sitting that sat when he did it. In fact, my itinerary was very close to Dickens' itinerary when he went through France and Spain. What? And I went, wow, because I was reading the book. I was in a, in a villa reading the book about Dickens, and, my, and it talked about Peter Pitchland. He met him when he, in the 1840s when he came to America. And I'm thinking, I'm sitting here reading in a place that Dickens wow. sat in probably, and, it's, and I'm looking at the itinerary, and it's almost identical to what I'm doing today. And I said, oh, that wasn't a coincidence. Right. That can't. That yeah. just, that can't yeah. be. And now, it's like you know. the energies of the universe. Yeah, and he was, he was a statesman. You know, Peter was a statesman. He was a speaker. He was a leader. And he liked dressing fine and the whole thing. And I'm going, dude, man, you know, I'm thinking, without even thinking, I'm doing the same things that all my ancestors did, you know, because I've made that. I, I've got that connection. I, I I didn't pull myself away from my culture or, my, or, or who I am. Um, I allowed that spirit to be still in me, you know. And uh, and I think about Dickens and uh, and my grandfather smoking a cigar together. Man. Yeah. <laughs> it's like because it's so funny. I've got a picture of me in the villa, and what do I have? I've got my book that I'm reading about Dickens, I've got a cigar sitting right there next to it. I got a great picture of that, and I'm in a villa that's wow. made in the 15th century. That's you okay. know, and uh, and there's this, the Dickens book, nice old chair, and there's my cigar sitting right there. And I don't think there's a place that, that they took a picture of me in Europe that I didn't have a cigar in my hand or yeah. one in the ashtray right in front of me yeah. at, a, at a cafe, you know? Do you remember if there the it, were there there ashtrays 
like when I went when I go to Spain, their ashtrays are very distinct. Usually like stainless steel, and they have this cover, but so it's like a bowl, I guess, but that has a cover, and then there's water inside of it. So when you're done, you lift the, the top and you just extinguish. You extinguish Did they do out. that in France? No, they didn't do it in France. Okay. They got they got ceramic ones in France. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Or um, usually I brought my own. Okay. Um, in fact, it was funny. I got a really cool. I uh, was in uh, in Paris, and a uh, lady that was traveling with me, she was from uh, France, and she went into an antique shop, and uh, she came out with this brass, it looked like a part of a wing, and it was made to hold a cigar. And she, I got that in my car. Oh, man. And uh, she comes out, and she's got it behind her back, and she says, Got this for you. And I went, whoa, check that out. It's, it fits in my pocket. Oh, wow. But it's convenient. A, it looks like an angel's wing or a wing, and at the end, it's got the, the intention for the cigar to sit right in it. And she said it was from the 1800s. And uh, she bought it in an antique shop. And she, she saw it and she said, that's Greyhawk. And she brought yeah. it and gave it to me. I've lost it a couple of times and it showed up, you know? Yeah. It shows back up. But I keep it in my car because I keep my. A cigar in my car. That's awesome. But, uh, Do you want to talk about uh, 13 Moons? Wasn't that a project you did in France? That was a project I did in, in France. Uh, it, they, um, uh, the album was, was actually, uh, I, I'd been hospitalized uh, and uh, was pretty bad off, I guess, back then. And um, When I came out of the operating room and uh, realized I didn't croak off, you know, called my wife and said, bring me my notebooks. And I wrote 13 moons um, and started in a hospital bed and wow. then wound up going to a coffee house with a cigar and, and finishing it up, you know. And um, it has to do with our moons, not the 12-month calendar, which doesn't make sense. Uh, the 13 is actually a natural calendar every moon that's in a year, and it's down to the minute. Um, so I decided to write the, the calendar using the things that we do in each moon. Like if we were gathering certain things, if we were doing this, we were doing that, or we were hunting, or we were building houses, whatever, that went on in that we every moon you had something that you did every year. And so I wrote the chance. Uh, basically a story with the chance about each moon and that became 13 moons and then uh, I did it um, I recorded it in my house um, just sort of rattle and uh, wound up um, making a, a CD of it just for myself went to uh, I went 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 to the, I guess we if people here we have we call it parishes, yeah. other places they call it counties, but our parish, and I was at the parish building and I had it in my CD player and I was getting ready to leave, and one of the ladies from the culture department, for the parish for the president parish, parish president, came by and she's like, what is that music? I love it. That chant, man, it's great. I said, that's just me, you know. Can I have a copy of that? And I went, I took it out my CD player and I gave it to her. 
and uh, totally forgot about it, you know. And uh, I still had the, the, the master in, in my computer. And, uh, I guess it was uh, 2010 or something like that. And uh, I get a phone call from the, uh, the, pre the parish president's office, and they said, you won Musical Artist of the Year for 2010. You know? And interesting year, hospital, tie, and all that other stuff. And I said, for what? What did I win? Why did I get Musical Artist of the Year for your album, 13 Moons? I said, I have no album, 13 Moons, you know? She said, no, you free out with 13 moves. And plus also being involved with music your whole life and being, you know, the cultural coordinator, uh, Native American coordinator, music coordinator for Jazz Fest. And I said, but I don't have an album, 13 moves. Well, I found out that she took that CD and she was playing it in the, in the, the, the uh, government building. And people were listening to it. And they were loving this album, and it became very popular at that in in the government office. And they thought it was so great that they said, you know, they were going to give me the. They they didn't know that I had not produced it, so it was funny. I got an award for something I had not oh, produced no. yet, you know. Yeah. And um, which made me realize I need to maybe do something with this, but didn't know how to do it. Well, they gave me the award, and one of the ladies from the French consulate shows up, and she says, uh, I, I heard about your 13 Moves album. Uh, I said, what album? She says, and it's in Mobilian, your native language. And they said, Mobilian became a trade language for the French. Very important with the, 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 to help the French and natives communicate. They learned the Mobilian language, and it became very important as far as history goes. And you're doing a whole album in that language. Would you be willing to collaborate with some French musicians and, and do an album here? And I never thought of it. And I said, well, so the guys from France, they said, meet me up on Skype, and um, we talked. Um, I didn't know too much. I, I know a little bit of French, and he didn't know a little bit of English, so we had an interpreter, and we talked Skype, and uh, he says, I'd like to take your music that you've recorded, that you've composed, and like to make arrangements in progressive jazz, French. I said, yeah. So I sent him seven just to see how it would work. He worked on it for a while, sent it back to me. I listened to it. I did some arrangement on it. I sent it back to him. Before We never met. Before you know it, we had these seven songs arranged with the music and the instruments and everything else and vocals. And uh, they said, we want to try this out to see if it's going to take off. So they said, we're going to send our musicians to, to New Orleans and you're going to do a concert in New Orleans, Lafayette, and places to see the reaction and then if that goes over good we'll do the other six songs and then hopefully make the album I said okay so they sent the guys I never met them um, and we practiced for a couple of days and then we did a tour it went great seven songs were taken and people loved it 
So they said, give God to give them this, the other six songs. We work on it and, and, and finish it up. And then before we, we do the album, you do a whole concert with all 13 songs in France. We'll give you a tour of France, start in Paris, and we'll go to Montpellier, to this, that, man, beyond all over, and see what the French, how they accept it. Well, we did. I went over, stayed in that villa, and uh, we recorded and we rehearsed. We rehearsed for three days, and then we went on a almost three-month tour. And... Uh, and everywhere we went, the place was packed. People were coming to hear my stories, not only the music, but the stories. And then they said, good, we're going to record the album. And we did. So at the time, I mean, it went over really well. At the time, we were doing something that had never been done before. And um, we got to, uh, I think, Paris. And there was a little, I don't know if you saw the cover of the album. I remember, yeah. It has a turtle on it, and which has 13 parts. The turtle represents the 13 moons. Well, that painting was done by a Mohawk lady that was doing an exhibit at the Louvre in Paris at the time. And she sent a message, would you be willing, would you be interested in taking my painting and using it as the cover of your album for 13 moons? Wow. And so she sent the thing, and I went and looked at it, and I said, yeah, and so she gave me the the, the, the the painting to put on my album cover. So Mohawk, Native American Muskogean, and showed how we looked at the 13 moons the same in the turtle. <coughs> Went into the uh, studio, blew it away, because we had been, at that point, been playing the uh, music for almost four months. Went in, first shot every song. And finished it up, and brought it back, and we they printed a lot of. And there's none left. I mean, they all sold out. The only copies that are known to be in existence are still in Europe, and there's not that many. But they sold out so quick, and uh, the the Grammys looked at it, you know, and they were considering it, but they didn't know what category to put us in. And so you know, they 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 said, yeah, but we didn't win anything because of uh, the category. Uh, but they, at least the Grammys looked at it, you know. Can can I find this on, like, a streaming service? Oh, that's the way to go it, now. It is so funny because everything I've ever done, the albums, and I don't know, I don't know how this happened, but Worth the Wait, the one with the hand-eye yeah. on it, and um, 13 Moons. I was doing some antique work, and I was in the shop, and I got... With Pandora on, and you get a you get all the songs that fit in. Like I was listening to Yes and and some of the stuff, and I'm sitting there listening. And all of a sudden, boom! I hear Turkey Moon. It's like that's familiar. That's me. Yeah. And it's on Pandora. My daughter called me from Ohio. She said she was on TikTok, and all of a sudden my album comes up. And then uh, Spotify. Then this. It's all over YouTube. Wow. I mean, it's everywhere. Yeah. And you pull Pandora and both albums come up together. You see 13 Moon, you see Worth the Wait. And I'm going, how did that happen? Yeah. You know, it's around the world. Everybody's listening to this um, 
this album and uh and one of the songs on the album is Peace A Silver Lee. That's in the first one. Wrote smoke readings, reading smoke about the tobacco, like the tobacco, you know, and, and uh, so it's in my albums, you know, and uh, so now they're everywhere, and uh, which I like. I like. I don't care if I'm making money off of it or anything like that. I just want people to hear it, and that way, you know, people like it and maybe want us to come play. You know, and we just finished Jazz Fest and we kicked that down. It was great. Uh, and we're going to go in uh, the studio very soon, and we're going to do 45s on vinyl. Oh, cool. And uh, we're going to start it off with Stomp Song and, and Chestnut Moon, and we're going to have a A side, B side, and the first Al Song record's going to be a killer because it's two of our most famous or favorite songs. And then we're going to make uh, consecutive uh 45s of two songs, and then when we get enough, we're going to turn it into an album. But we're going to spend time on each one of those songs to make sure they're perfectly there and turn it into a 45. And they'll be available in New Orleans, you know, and, uh, at uh, certain places and at the Jazz Museum and all. But we, we're talking about doing that, so hopefully that'll be done pretty soon. And now that the way music distribution has changed via like the streaming platforms, hopefully you can get more distribution. I think know. so, and especially after Jazz Fest, and 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 then we've got quite a few concerts online right now that are being um, watched, and people know the music now. And and uh, I never really thought about taking it any farther than I have, but it seems like I'm being forced into. Uh, and a lot of the guys in, in, in my group, they're unbelievable people, you know, and and we do not start a concert before the cigars lit up behind stage and we, we pass the, the tobacco and and do positive before we go on stage. Yeah. And, uh, and we blow the smoke out and then we go up on stage and we kill it, you know, and, and that's just something that we do. I know people would go, oh, no, they're smoking cigars behind stage, but that's part of our getting together, um, getting us in a balance and a spirit to get us ready to go up on stage, you know, that we're going to project uh, a positive image, you know, and that's part of it, you know, burning that, uh, that cigar and getting us in the right frame, you know. It all the way back to I know. That was the origin. <laughs> yeah. Well, is there anything else you want to talk about before we uh, wrap it up? <clears throat> I, know. I mean, I love this tea, by the way. Thank you very oh, much. Yeah. For, can you explain a little bit about that? Well, the tea is... Because uh, uh, it's perfect for this cigar. Well, it's made for that cigar. It's made for a cigar. It's funny because uh, one of my favorite hangouts, besides Havana Poor. All right. <laughs> Shameless uh, um, The... Um, Favorite hangouts is is uh, the in Covington uh, called the English Tea Room, and uh, which I I visit a lot. I did a lot of artwork there. I do murals and stuff there, you know, and, and also my teas. But um, I would go and sit on the front porch and I'd smoke a cigar and I would drink tea. 
Well, they were asking, they said, you know, is a certain tea that you like with your cigar? I said, there are three teas I like with my cigar. And uh, then he says, why don't we develop a tea that goes perfect with your cigar? When you're smoking your cigar and, and you're drinking tea, and that it just married up perfect. And I thought that was that was great because tea is something that, you know, is something that's very, uh, it's a sacred thing too. You know, it's a very uh, special thing in a healer and in a lot of other ways. And along with the tobacco, it's like, boom, that's a perfect marriage. And so we sat down and we went through the three teas that I liked the most. And uh, it took us a couple of months and to get the right blend to where when you take a puff of that cigar and then you drink that tea and it's like, wow, it just blows your mind. Or you drink the tea and then take a puff of that cigar and it intensifies the flavor. And uh, because the tea has a very smoky, uh, almost like a, I guess it's like between a smokehouse and, yeah. and, a, and, a, and a flower place. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting. Yeah, it's a good way to describe the profile of this team. And uh, and so we de- we developed the tea, and it became the Greyhawk blend. And uh, the only place you can get that is the English Tea Room in, in, in uh, Covington. So if anybody wants that, you know, tea, uh, that's where you get it, you know, the English Tea Room. Sit down and go get, get you a, a cup of that, and then go on the front porch at the Crayhawk table. Yeah, the uh, table. And uh, light up a cigar and try it out with a good crumpet, and you know, have a good time. And uh, that that worked out good. We've been having that tea for quite a few years now, and um, so um, I guess it all comes back to that, that tobacco and that cigar, you know. Yeah. And, and, p- and it has become very uh, popular. And even even the ladies go, oh, I don't know if I want to try that. And then they try it and they go, wow. So you think it's killer now if you try a cigar with it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. you'd really like that. You know, yeah, you know, we can sit down and talk. We, you and I, I mean, I we sit down and talk. And, 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 and we just basically, it's like skimming the, the, the froth off the, off the coffee right now. I mean, so much. Oh, we could probably be here another eight hours. Yeah, we, we, we haven't even talked about the mounds, and we haven't talked about you know we haven't gone down to you know our agriculture and our you know our astronomy and our uh, our, our um, you know uh, um, architecture and everything else you know that that that's here in the southeast, which uh, you know there's just so much, and then uh, just how it blends in with a lot of the other cultures that have come to Louisiana. You know, and uh, we need to start thinking about, you know, uh, we talked about that earlier this week, about music and about how, you know, some certain cultures have come and, and uh, made Louisiana or made America who it mm-hmm. is, you know. And we, we always want to zero in on one culture and don't realize that all these cultures coming together uh, have made who we are. And if we... Let one overpower the rest, and we're not who we're supposed to be. Uh, we're supposed to acknowledge every uh, aspect of our culture, and that's everybody. Yeah. You know, and that's from Native American all the way to uh, anybody that's coming in from anywhere else. Agreed. You know, and uh, because we keep, you know, we can't forget 
uh, where we come from, but, you know, a lot of people have forgotten that, you know, we were first, and everybody else is an immigrant. (laughs) (laughs) And if we accepted the immigrants, you should accept immigrants, especially if you come from immigrants. You know, we we need to forget all that hate. We need to uh, think about what we got in common instead of what we have in difference. Because we are more in common than we have in difference, if you think about it. You know, if you sit down and talk to people long enough. And I think that's why I've got friends around the world. Because if you sit with people long enough, you will find out you got a lot more in common with each other than you do, than you think you do. Right. Well, I'd love to have you on again in the future. You're always welcome here. So, <laughs> well, again, I, thanks I for coming appreciate here. it, man. I, you know, you know, we've been friends for a long time, and and how did we meet? Through cigars, right. man. <laughs> well, thanks again, man. All right, yep. brother. In our well, language, hey, good luck this say, weekend. Have fun this weekend. Right. We say yoku ki. That means thank you. Yoku ki. Yeah. Yoku ki. Awesome. And don't forget hakshuma tobacco. Yeah. Thank you for tuning in today. We hope you found today's conversation insightful and entertaining. If you enjoyed this episode and want to discover more episodes, check us out at thelifepro.com or any other major streaming platform. If you're interested about the cigars we smoked, you can visit us at shop.habanaport.com. Until the next cigar, thank you.